Welcome to Eye on the Illini. This is Mike Kegley. Welcome to our show. We are excited to talk a little bit about Illinois winning the rock fight with Michigan State, 71 to 68. It was an exciting little bit of a nerve by, you know, ner nervous wreck at the end. But uh, the Illini come through in flying colors and that flying orange and blue pull out the victory. Tonight we will have on Kedrick Prince, director of recruiting, Brad Sturdy, our Illini insider who's also co-host of the Sports Spectacular and our radio show, uh, Big Sports Radio, that's a Big Ten show. And we will also have Matt Stevens, our Illini uh, staff writer, who will talk a little bit about the coaching shakeup that happened tonight. So wanted to keep you guys abreast of everything that's going on. We'll be back in one minute with Kedrick Prince. Whether you live in Champaign or Chicago, halfway across the country or on the other side of the world, IlliniGuys.com keeps you in the know, be it in-game results, top-level stories, or the latest behind-the-scenes info in recruiting, IlliniGuys.com has you covered. For about 25 cents a day, you can have an inside path to your favorite Illini teams, and we'll even throw in a free seven-day trial to kick the tires. Go to IlliniGuys.com, click the register button, and get immediate access to dozens of stories each month, message forums, free giveaways, and more. IlliniGuys.com. And welcome back to Eye on the Illini. As promised, this is Mike Kegley, and I am here with Kedrick Prince, Director of Recruiting and Man About Town. You have probably seen his stuff all over uh, IlliniGuys.com, all over Ked's Twitter feed, which you're going to want to follow. He's been one of the closest people to the Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, situation. There's a ton of updates that you can pick up um, probably – the most at IlliniGuys.com, uh, where Kedrick and Brad contribute a ton. And of course, you have to be a member to get into the message boards and back. And Kedrick does a really good job on Twitter of getting out important news there as well. Kedrick, a um, couple, couple things before we get started. I mean, you have to be exhausted with all the things going on with a real life job and trying to keep track of Terrence Shannon situation and then of course the Illini have a basketball team and football team and women's basketball team all those recruiting things that you're taking care of well it's been it's fun it's a, it's a fun time of the year uh Terrence, Chance, uh Terrence Shannon's situation obviously isn't right now but it's a great time to subscribe to Illini guys and Mike you're right um I'm gonna just give a plug anything that goes out I'm going to put it on the line that guys first, and which is why people want to subscribe to it. And, you know, we work our, you know, tails off for our subscribers and people who are interested in the University of Illinois. So, you know, not just, you know, Illinois men's basketball, women's basketball, football, coaching changes, everything. So we bring it all to the table, baby. Yeah, it's been a, a super active time. And I know uh, you and Brad, you know, getting into the literally hundreds of texts a day. So, uh, my appreciation for all your efforts and hopefully you won't get carpal tunnel syndrome with your thumbs on the uh, cell phone there. So let's, let's focus now on a really a huge Illini win because this was one of those games where you know that Michigan state is going to grab, they're going to hold, they're going to go over the back. They're going to slow the game down because they know if they hold you under 70, they're probably going to win. 
and the Illini were able to get to 71. That was good defense by both sides. Both teams shot 42%. The rebounding battle fell to the Spartans, 37 to 34. They did have an advantage of uh, five additional uh, offensive rebounds on, uh, you know, compared to the Illini, 13 to eight. And I thought that did make a big difference. But boy, when it when it came right down to it, the Illini got more points, you know, um, uh, off of the bench by about eight points. And and you know, with uh, while Domask had a rough first half, came back with fifteen in the second half, and of course, you had Ty Rogers who had twelve of his fifteen points in the first half, really kind of helped the Illini. Uh, in the first half, and then a total team effort in the second half. What are your thoughts, just as a as a high level, going over this game? Well, you know, I knew this was going to be a tough game. I mean, Tom Izzo. I mean, what does Michigan say? Nine and five right now, one and four in the league, or one and three in the league. You knew it didn't matter who Michigan State was going to be playing tonight. They were going to come out and they competed. You know, an average Illinois team would have probably lost tonight. And I've said this a number of times. I think this is a very special basketball team. I think they're they're good, and I've said it, that fans should enjoy it because they just do things right. Um, I, you know, obviously I cover the University of Illinois, and I love doing that. And when Illinois is not playing in the Big Ten, probably my favorite team to watch in the Big Ten is Michigan State, except for when you play them. I don't like – I think Tom Izzo spends way more time – complaining to officials um and i've not said anything about officials and i don't know how long but i wasn't happy tonight with the lack of over the back calls that for some reason that they didn't want to call um i thought marcus Domask was getting grabbed the 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 b official and, and when i say b for people who may not understand in basketball they're in position a b and c and the b official tonight i literally watched he had the same view watch Hoga just grab his Marcus Domas waist and ride him all to the basket and you got nothing. And I don't know. I know their officials and their fans. People may not realize that I've talked to a number of officials. I can tweet some of the guys having conversations with them. They're fans. And so not that they're cheating, but they know what's at stake. You know, I'll never forget Ed Hightower telling me once that, Hey, yeah, we read the paper. We know what's going on. So they know Tom Izzo, they need him in the tournament because he's always been a tournament team. And I just think Illinois outwilled or out-officiated them tonight because it didn't cost them the game, but it could have. Player-wise, real quick, Mike, um, it was good to see Ty Rogers. I think Ty Rogers had a little extra pep in his step because of Michigan State, because he's from the Flint area. It was nice to see him do that because I think what he did tonight was to, to let the rest of the Big Ten know – if you're not going to guard me, I'm going to find a way to score. And I'm going to get the ball to my teammates. So very, very encouraged by him. Uh, my MVP tonight, I have to be honest with you, I still say it was, it was a tie Marcus Domas and Coleman Hawkins. Marcus struggled, but that kid really plays for the next play. Hadn't made a three, didn't make a dagger when the counter, and Coleman just made big plays and big passes. So great team win, you know, on to the next one. Yeah, I, I think a couple of things really jumped out at me. Um, first off, there were several possessions in the second half. You know, one of them where 
uh, a shot got stuck over Luke Goody and, and Luke played fantastic defense, just shot went in. Um, and earlier in the play, you saw Domask and Hawkins down there talking and communicating, making sure as they went from when the Spartans went from side to side with that double pick that they stayed with their man um, or knew who was, who was, you know, going to grab who, and that you can see and understand why Brad Underwood wants to go older because against a group of freshmen or freshmen and sophomores, that probably would have been a pretty effective play to have one guy get lost and you get an easy backdoor layup with the older guys in there. That just doesn't happen. And I think, I think that's why the age of the transfers coming in and the maturity level is so valuable to Brad Underwood. It is. And Mike, we've said this a number of times. I mean, this group is older than wise. They just, they don't seem to get rattled. They just, you know, they just seem to make the big plays and, it doesn't – it's nice because tonight was the first time I thought, man, where's Isle? Because Isle was always that guy that just made the play, but they have one. You know, Marcus Domas has taken up – I don't want to say he's taken up attention because Marcus Domas was still the same guy. Both of those guys were able to be effective. But when you when you want the basketball and when you're older, that it's hard to teach that and to be confident. And I'm going to give an example. Coleman Harkins knocking down that three in the corner was huge. Think back when he was a freshman or sophomore. One, it probably he wouldn't have shot it. Two, it probably wouldn't have went in. You know, and Marcus Domas and Quincy get into the basket. You know, Justin Harmon. I mean, and I really wish, I really wish the fans and the national media would get off Ty Rogers' back about being a point guard. The kid handles the basketball really, really well. No, he didn't shoot it well against Purdue last week, but you know what? He rebounded today and had a good performance, but he does his job and he defends extremely well. And he's a big guard. So, and if he ever this off season learns to shoot a jump shot, Brad Under was always told us Coleman Hawkins was a good shooter. Never saw it to this year. Brad told me to my face once, to my face once in Chicago, that he thought that um, Ty Rogers was an NBA prospect. If that kid could ever learn how to shoot a jump shot, um, Brad's going to be two for two because with me because Ty has all the tools to play at the next level except for that jump shot. And when we saw that in AAU, now granted he wasn't playing, you know, the defense isn't quite as good in the AAU season, but I saw him knock down threes and twos, you know, from, you know, 20, 22 down to 16 feet. And I'm not saying he was, you know, Steph Curry, but there was nothing broken. I think it's just a matter of getting him mentally in the right in the right place. Mike, you know what I think, too? When you have non-conference games, when you're blowing teams out, those are games where I think, one, you can play your bench, and two, guys work on things that you don't need. Because maybe, you know, I, I know, I don't think he shot a three all year. I've not missed a game. I don't think he has launched a three-point attempt this entire season. His free throw percentage, which I tweeted out last week, is just remarkable from last year to this year. But you're right. He did it at the at the high school level, and you know he's a sophomore. Um, but and there's time to work on it because I mean I know in the off season that, that was a knock on aisle, but he put the time in. Ty's a great kid, a great competitor, so I expect to see that leap. And you know, again, my point here is, you know, when you're beating teams that are lower level teams in NAIA schools or in exhibition games, work on that shot because in games like this. 
you know, when the games are close, you're going to be on the court. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a, that's a good point. And it was, it was an interesting game from a standpoint of, I, I thought towards the end, it got, um, I, I thought the refs were fine because they were calling it the same way throughout, whether we like, you know, that, that, that style all the time is, is a different, different discussion point. But I really thought that, that they were fairly consistent until the end. And then at the end of the game, you know, there was a couple times where they called, uh, you know, they would call a, a small foul. I think the biggest difference was uh, Coleman Hawkins got a foul for, for just kind of jumping straight up. Um, at the same time, the the immediate play before, Domas goes in the lane and a defender did the exact same thing. Domas makes the shot. They don't call it. it you know, it is what it is. But I, I think the consistency was where I had the issue. I think Luke Goody got called for blowing too much spit on somebody's <laughs> shoulder. And you're like, how does that get called? And, and I don't really – and look, I mean, Coleman Hawkins got away with the Malachi crunch earlier in the game. I mean, you know, you're going to miss some fouls now and again. I just thought that they they got a little little crazy on, you know, you, you, they started calling things that they didn't call earlier. And I, I found that if I was a player, that would have been frustrating. But in, in the end, the only thing I thought they consistently was frustrating for me is you you would have – Hawkins blocking out Sissoko and Sissoko would hit, you know, get his armpit into Hawkins head as he reached over up in the air. And as a player, the only thing you can do, which you do not want to see is if a guy's going to go over the top of you and they're not going to call anything is you back up and you flip him. Just what happened to Gary air. And I just don't think you want to, you want to, as referee, you want to be calling a game in such a way that a kid goes, okay, you're not going to call over the back. I'm going to dump this guy on his head because that's when people get hurt and, and nobody wants to see that. Well, that's why I was surprised. And it's not like Coleman Hawkins is five foot one, yeah. he's 6'10. I mean, and it, and it happened twice. And that's why I'm like, I know you see this. It was more than and, twice. And it matters. Yeah, it does. You know, and, Truthfully, Mike, you know, I was thinking about this. We, as media writers, uh, fans, what have you, I mean, I, I'm going to just give credit where credit's due. How many times have we talked about this and we haven't touched on this yet? Gosh, we're gonna, they're going to lose games because they can't make free throws. They were over 80% again tonight. Yep. If you look back, and I know you have the computer in front of your face because I'm looking at you. I know for a fact they have shot over 70%. I don't know, over the last, what, five, six, seven, eight games. I don't know the last time I've watched the Illinois team do that. And I'm talking about even when they had Kofi in Iowa. This team knocks down free throws. And that's, I mean, think about when Marcus Domas walked to the line, Coleman Hawkins. You missed those free throws because Michigan State came down the court and they answered. This team is really, really made for March. I don't like the Big Ten right now. I, I don't, you know, I like seeing them play the non-conference because it wasn't as physical. You didn't see all that stuff. I mean, now I kind of get what people are saying. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a fan of what I saw tonight because you're right. Because you talked last year, Mike, on one of the podcasts. I remember how the Big Ten players struggle to adjust to the game and the finesse part of it. Because tonight was like a boxing match between Tyson and Holyfield. I was, I, I was, I, I didn't like that. Well, you have to be away from Big Ten country. So for those of you who aren't aware, I live down in the North Dallas suburbs. 
cover a lot of uh, basketball down here, AAU and, and high school. And one thing you will hear from the players will tell you, so you know they're being told that by opposing coaches, particularly coaches in the Big 12 SEC. They talk about the overly physical nature of games as a reason not to go to a Big 10 school. And, and they're like, you know, do you want to let your skills show or do you want to get, you know, hacked and held and whatever? And, and, and that's the way, of, you know, the Big Ten is, is refereed. And I do think that, that players listen to that. And then when the Big Ten has its troubles in the tournament, I'm not certain that it all goes back to that. But if I'm used to being super physical and now I have to guard a really good player that I that I've just seen and you know I haven't played against before and I can't use some of those habits that I've that I've learned to lean into, that makes it tough on the the big ten teams to have to be able to adapt against arguably when you're in the big 10 tournament, the best competition you play all year long. And that's, that's my, my issue on the consistency. And I'd like to see the games, the big 10 supervisor, I'd like to see him play the games a little more like what you see in the sec big 12 or ACC, where you can get up and down the court a little bit. And there's a little bit less of the, uh, I guess the players, that are that are more of like a hockey enforcer types. So, well, that's Mike, just you know what? One man's opinion. Yeah. No, you know what? You bring up a good point, and I'm going to back it up with some facts. And I'm going to be all over the place with this, so I'm sorry, listeners. Let's look at the the Michigan football team. The Big Ten has struggled against SEC schools. Michigan finally went out and got talent. You watched the Michigan football. They had more talent. They had more speed than Alabama. That's never happened. That's why they're national champions. They went out and they got guys that were just as big and as fast as SEC schools. You look at the Big Ten women's basketball. They they get all the teams in the, in the tournament, but they struggle. Now, Iowa, they went to the national championship game last year because they have superwomen. That's different. But traditionally, Mike, they struggle. They haven't done well. I mean, there's a girl here in the area that I write about and tweet about, Divine Birds, and the SEC schools are telling her exactly what you said. Don't play Big Ten basketball because of style of play. Now, you go back to men's basketball, they have not won a national title since 2000. Now, granted, there's been some teams in the Final Four, but they haven't gotten over the hump. So that style of play is not okay. It's not fun. I mean, it's not the 80s anymore, 90s. The game is changing. If they want to go out, and they want to compete with the better schools. You got to have guys like this group Illinois has right now. It kind of looks like an SEC Big Twelve type team to me. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree that that that's the case, and and I do think overall this Illini team plays through that stuff. I thought tonight one thing I thought that Coach Underwood did that was masterful was when Coleman got a little frustrated, he pulled him right off the court and let him calm down a little bit. And and I think that helped because Coleman had one heck of a game when you figure, you know, 15 points, three for five from the three, four for four from the free throw line, seven rebounds, two assists, 
that that's the type of game four blocks that's the type of game that you need from him and and I will tell you the thing that you don't see with Coleman Hawkins and and folks again please watch the games with an eye away from the ball on defense Coleman Hawkins stops so many drives and it's not because he's Kofi like where he scares the hell out of everybody <laughs> but the bottom line is is you will see him shift over, go away from his man because of his quickness. He can go away and he can help defense and yet still get back to his man and he's long enough so they can't make the pass to him. And there are multiple drives every game that he makes a player turn away from. And then yes. of course, and, and tonight you had a, a, a time where he actually, you know, went out against a a guard and caused, you know, basically um, caused all sorts of issues when Jay Nakins tried to, to take Coleman Hawkins off the dribble and Coleman st- stuck with him to the point where uh, Aikens decided, I'm just going to, you know, go out to the corner and pass the ball. You don't see a 6'10 center do that. And that's what makes him so rare when people go, when people get frustrated because maybe he shows his emotions or whatever a little too much, the reason Coach Underwood keeps him on the floor is that defense is a different beast with him out on the floor. And I, it would have been amazing to see him with this skill and this experience playing next to Kofi because then that would have been truly a, an amazing defense. It would have been. And Brad mentioned that tonight in his post game, they're a different team when Coleman's off the floor. Yes, he's wearing his heart on, on, on his sleeve. I mean, and he's real demonstrative. It, it's obvious, and everybody can see that. I think when Brad took him out, because officials talk, and that's why I think Tom Izzo may have said something to the officials about not giving Marcus calls, and I think maybe the officiating crew, or maybe the Big Ten may have said something to Coach Underwood about Coleman. I don't know, but I, I know he did pull him out you know, right away. Um, and and they do that. And if they if they did that, that's very very respectful on their part, you know. And I, I get it, and I know, and I'm okay with that if that's the case. But moving forward, you know, with him, he is doing ex- everything that people thought. And a lot of people always ask me, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, when I talk to other kids from other from outside of the Midwest. You know, they'll say, well, my coach says, why do you want to go to Illinois? Who's gotten better? Iowa got better. Kofi got better. Coleman Hawkins is better. Look at Marcus Domasco right now. I mean, in one year, look at Quincy Guerrier right now. Those kids have gotten better underneath him. You can criticize him all you want. And what I don't understand, and when I see him, I'm, I would love to ask, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't get mad. There was a couple of times tonight I would have blew the roof off the State Farm Center but the lack of old back calls that we talked about, I've not seen Brad do that at all. He's just, he's confident. He knows this old man group with walking canes, they're good. I mean, they just don't panic, Mike. They just, they do what they need to do. And and they're in every game and it's impressive. It's nice to see. Yeah. And, and I will tell you that one thing that I really liked tonight that I saw from, from both teams is, when one team would get a rally, the other team would just come back, you know, no, no crap, just no talking, just, okay, we're going to, you know, you'd see these seven Oh runs and you'd keep thinking, well, 
you know, Illinois is up by nine. They just, they went on a seven Oh run. Now they're going to break it open. Nope. Michigan state, bring it back to two or three. Then Illinois would widen it out and Michigan state would, would bring it back. Then Illinois, then Michigan state gets a little bit of the lead. Illinois comes back. I thought both teams showed that potential and why they do get votes from the national voters because of that willpower. Now um, they just got to maintain their ability to shoot and put the ball in the basket. That and also defend and knock down free throws. It's just a small little things right now that this older group is doing. So, you know, like you say, you look at the stat sheet, they've done all the little things that we talk about to win games, Mike. Now, one last thing, I guess we'll go, we kind of covered the game, Ked, but what did what do you think we've got a visit coming up on the weekend, unofficial visit for Bryce Dixon, six foot four uh, shooting guard out of the colony, which is um, Darren Williams' port of uh, his original home. And, and so he's coming in town. You've talked to him. What are your thoughts there? He's really excited just the fact to see Illinois in person. And, you know, I talked to him a couple of times last week. Then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to ask him this random question. I'm like, I wanted to know if there was anything in the school about Darren Williams hanging around the school. And there's a lot, you know, and you see him in his Illinois uniform in the national championship game. And, you know, he talked about that. So um, I'm going to go Sunday, even though it's supposed to be negative uh, 25 degrees out with the wind chill. So it's going to be a culture shock coming from Texas to this, but I'm going to be up and uh, hopefully I can, you know, talk to him and see what he thinks about the team because he was excited about seeing him in person. He's watched the games and, you know, they've got a lot of national attention and, you know, and his high school coaches talk about Illinois is one of the better programs in the country. And it's easy. Just pull your phone out and Google AP and coaches top 10 and Illinois is right there. So, and the fact that Dan Williams has had some success and I like the fact that he's six, four Illinois is recruiting a lot of big guards. I mean, Jeremiah fears is a six, two, six, three guards. Jace Butler's a six, four guard. So Brad likes this big team and guys that can shoot it. Yeah. And I will tell you watching him play a few things come to mind. First off, he has a really soft touch 15 to 17 footer. And it's not like he can't shoot the three, but right now he 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 can get in that mid range and just grind people up, and and again very soft shooting touch, and and he's one of those kids that when he's hot he'll actually pop that rim, the the network almost goes straight up, you know. I mean he he's not hitting any rim; it's just a swish with a crack uh, of the net. And the other thing that that people need to know is he's fifteen, he's six foot four. He's got a big frame on him. You know, he looks like in a couple of years, he could be six foot six and maybe Damascus size because he's got wide shoulders. Uh, and the other thing I think that that you have to understand is Cleve Ryan, his coach, was an assistant coach of Darren Williams and actually coached Darren and Bracey when they were in junior high before moving up to the high school level. So you walk into their locker room as you're going, you know, just as you walk in, you know, from the the hallway going out to the arena and there's a picture of Darren Williams right there. And they will talk about Darren and what he's done. And Darren will occasionally come in and, and just surprise the team and, and, you know, show up for a game. And, and so he's very well liked there in the colony. So I think there's some real positives and Dixon looks like he is going to be, you know, he's a 2026. So 
as a sophomore, I think the development and the potential on this kid is nearly unlimited. Oh, without a doubt. And I mean, and I asked him too, which I typically don't ask 2000 sophomores or kids that are a couple years away. You know, if Illinois has the right thing and the right look for him and he's comfortable with it and, you know, they continue to stay on him and recruit him. I mean, he doesn't have to wait till he's a junior senior to pull the trigger. So, I mean, I know he wants to, to experience it, but Illinois getting him on campus on during the season tells you what kind of player he is because typically it's hard for the staff to get kids on campus anymore anywhere because the Big Ten plays so many games and it's tough because these kids go to school the next day or they're playing themselves. So this is big time to be able to get him on campus. Yep. Perfect. Any final thoughts for the folks, Ked, before we let you go? W-I-N. That's at the end of the day. That's all that matters. You know, it was a three-point game and take the win and move on. And I will say they owe Maryland. Maryland has been a thorn in Brad Underwood's side. There's all those teams that you struggle. I think Brad's beat uh, Michigan State four straight times now. I think the series is tied at 64-64 in the history. But Maryland has always played well against Illinois. I remember Brad Underwood's first year when they couldn't get the ball in bounds. Devontae was there. So this is a chance for them to take another leap. With all the teams losing in the top 25, they may jump up another step in the polls, and we'll see what happens, you know, with Terrence Shannon uh, and his court date tomorrow. So a lot of things could be looking up for Illinois. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming, Ked. And we will be back after these messages. Are you looking to grow your business? Do that with the Illini Guys radio network by advertising on the Illini Guys Sports Spectacular. The weekly two-hour syndicated show airs on more than 20 stations and is heard in six states throughout the Midwest, including Chicago, St. Louis, the Quad Cities, Peoria, Bloomington, Springfield, Champaign, Decatur, Rockford, and Quincy, just to name a few, with a reach of more than 11 million people. For information, send an email to mike at IlliniGuys.com and let's work together to grow your business. That's mike at I-L-L-I-N-I-G-U-Y-S.com and let the power and reach of the Illini Guys Network work for you. And one of our Illini Guys specials, we've got Matt Stevens on who covers the football team. And as if there isn't enough things going on when you go college football and Illini basketball and Illini women's basketball and Illini football and recruiting, now we have some coaching changes. So, Matt, uh, give the fans a little bit of a, a brief on what happened earlier today that, that caught some people by surprise. Two assistant coaches got fired, uh, Andy Boo and Antonio Finellis, the linebackers coach and the defensive backs coach, respectively, at Illinois, have been terminated by Brett Bielema, effective immediately. Um, this is not an off-the-field incident kind of thing. You don't need to be worried about that. This is a on-field performance issue by the head coach after a, an evaluation. Um, and so there will at least be two new, head, new assistant coaches um, for the 2024 season. I don't know how they're going to work spring ball or if that person – these people will be, uh, I assume these people will be replaced before spring ball starts, but I don't know that. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the basis of the news. Brett Bielema sent out a statement somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 minutes before tip tonight at State Farm Center that uh, he had terminated two assistants. Any, any thoughts on analysis on the backside? Because I know that this Brett yeah. works in secret, but let's, what do you think? Sure. Um, look, uh, I think there was, 
I mean, I can I can shoot down some things because um, our, our our boards, which are very very active, and I thank God for all of you on that, um, and 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 your subscription, and thank God for you. Um, but uh, um, there's a couple of things I can shoot down immediately. Uh, this is not Josh Widman saying you need to make changes on your staff to Brett Bielema. That that uh, that kind of uh, um, what do you call it? Micromanaging of a head coach's coaching staff uh, is not something that Josh Widman has done since he's been here at Illinois and uh, um, has made a history, will make a history of doing. Um, so that's not the case. There was not a third-party consultantship of how this defense looked after last year. Um, Brett Bielema went to the tape. I have, under, I have an understanding he was at the American Football Coaches Association um, convention this entire week in Nashville. Um, first time in a while I haven't gone to AFCA. And uh, I would suspect he's been talking to people about this, these two uh, vacancies that he's known that he's going to have on his staff and just simply released it today. But uh, I would suspect that at least one of these vacancies will get hired by, be, be filled by somebody Brett Bielema has talked to either in Nashville via, via, via video teleconferencing or in person. Yeah. And Brett's not one to do things uh, rashly. So I think we're probably, uh, he's probably got something planned I think that the, the the surprising thing, Mike, obviously, is that Andy is the is, is Andy Boo. Um, Andy Boo was one of his first assistant coaches. That was a non coordinator that was hired to Brett's staff. He's known Andy for the better part of a decade and a half, at least professionally. Um, and and I think that they have a lot of respect for each other. Um, something just had to give, and uh, I mean, there's, and I think that this is not something that Brett Bielema wanted to do, to be quite honest, is, is one of the things I was told while the basketball game was going on. This is not something that he wanted to have happen. Um, and these are two people that he's known for the, you know, last decade and a half, at least. And with Antonio Finellis, he's known him for the last 20 years of his life because he recruited him to play at Wisconsin out, out of high school. So, um, you know, he was one of, he's one of Aaron Henry's best friends. You think Aaron Henry wanted this to happen? I, I think, I think Antonio Finellis stood at Aaron Henry's wedding. Um, you, you, you think, you think Aaron Henry wanted this to happen. So, um, this is not something that Brett Bielema, uh, wanted to have happen. And I don't think he's really happy about having to do it. I just think that if anybody wants to claim that this wasn't Brett Bielema's call, I'm telling you right now, I think it hundred percent was, and it's, it's a professional decision that Brett had to make and felt, felt he had to make. And, um, with Antonio, I think with the drop-off in the secondary, despite the amount of losses they had in the NFL, um, you really couldn't be all that unbelievably surprised, even though he only got a year. This is, I said it on our board, this is like a Tony Peterson type decision for Brett Bielema. I think he saw after one year, this wasn't going in the right direction and he needed to nip it in the bud because he's got a lot of secondary pieces that have a lot of years of eligibility left and they're very, very talented. The Andy Boo one is shocking to me because there's there's very, very talented inside linebackers that would run through a wall for Andy Boo. And I didn't think the inside linebacker play was devastatingly bad in 2023, but Brett Bielema th thinks that there's an upgrade that can be made. And I suspect that either it's before spring ball or definitely before the 2024 season, he's going to make it. Yep. And we will have uh, Mike Farrell's thoughts on this tomorrow. And I'll give you the early prediction on the linebackers coach will not be Nick Saban. So I'm going to go out on the limb. Nick Saban is not going to be the linebackers coach for Brett Bielema and the fighting Illini in 2024. He's more of a DB coach, Mike. <laughs> It's not going to be me either. It's not going to be feral. It's not going to be sturdy. So the, there's four people you can rule out. Okay. So we, we've, we've really uh, hit this. By the way, folks, you just heard Brad Sturdy chime in 
when there's humor to be had, he cannot resist and he has to jump in. Um, Brad, you're at the game tonight. Um, I, I, I tell you what, uh, Brad Underwood said that it was going to be a rock fight. It took a while for the rock fight to get started. But those last 10 minutes, it, we, we saw what Brad Underwood told us we'd see. What were your thoughts sitting there right next to uh, right next to the action? Well, I, I think a really physical game. Um, you saw both teams have a hard time, you know, getting the getting uh, uncontested shots. I thought, <laughs> I thought the one thing I will say is that there were a lot of shots at the rim contested that didn't get fouls that probably in most games were fouls, uh, and yes. it was both ways. I thought, yeah. you know, so so I don't think it was one sided. Although I'm sure Michigan State and and Izzo thought it was a little bit one sided, but um, I you know I do think that they just let them play. And, uh, and that is a thing when you let them play and you play physical like that, it is really, really hard to, to be good on offense. It's hard to be fluid, but Illinois still found a way against a very, very good Michigan state defense. I think people underestimate how good their defense is. They scored 71 points on a 66 possession game. Um, they stay at number seven in the country and adjusted offensive efficiency, uh, I thought they were fantastic offensively, I, and and that's not even shooting the ball well. Uh, so I, you know, a lot of people don't understand that what they have done the past four games offensively, while losing a first team All American who is arguably one of the, you know, arguably the best guard in the country, is astonishing offensively. What they've been able to do, and credit to Tyler Underwood and Jeff Alexander who are kind of the offensive coordinators, and they have found ways to make this offense good, even without Terrence Shannon. I mean, it's really impressive. Sometimes teams do it for one game. They've done it for four games in a row where they've done a really good job offensively against a uh, really, you know, a good defensive team um, in this case. And so yeah, I, I was impressed. Now, defensively, yeah, I think there's some uh, work to be work to be done. I thought they played hard defensively, but I don't think they're quite at the level they were before uh when they had Terrence Shannon. Oh good you but you predicted that and you were correct. You just don't you you know Terrence Shannon can put on ball pressure on that just you, you really can't compare. Not that anybody's doing a bad job, but my goodness, they they miss him, you know, to put on somebody like Walker and really make life hard. Yep. I totally agree. And and that's where you you don't have that guy and I, I will say that Justin Harmon's getting better all the time defensively. He really has improved. I thought he was good defensively tonight, and that's huge. I A lot of times we expect a guy, well, he's played four years of college basketball. Yeah, but he hasn't played in this system. So when you get a guy who comes in, and we've seen that with Harmon, seen that a little bit even with Damask, who played, you know, Garrier, they have to adjust to their new environment even as an old guy. And now they have, and you're starting to see the fruits of that. And and I don't know, we we say it every year. We talk about it every year. We mention it every year. We mention Andres Feliz and how much better he got in the second half of the year as a JUCO transfer. And yet people still just get emotional, and, and I guess they lose rationality. Well, the the one thing, I, I will tell you just real quick on the refs, I, I only really, I thought it got a little out of hand towards the end of the game, but you oh, know, yeah. that's that's fine. The only thing I didn't like that they called was the – I thought Sissoko was going over Coleman's back multiple times. 
we're creatures of the eighties. If, if they don't call over the back, then you just back into the guy and let him land on his head. And that teaches him not to do that. Um, I thought Sissoko did that probably four or five times that I thought he got away with it. I know that, you know, I watched Coleman get away with a pretty good foul on a, uh, in the middle that, that ended up in turnover for Michigan state. So, so the refs certainly had their moments. If you're a Michigan state fan, I think probably the part that you're, you're whining about the most is the the free throw discrepancy but i yeah. also think i do think that they are the more physical team between the two of them and it's not necessarily a shock that they they shot you know less free throws um well and I, if you look at the fouls they were 14 to 10 fouls right. there were four fouls difference until they fouled the mask at the end Right. The difference was Illinois got called for a lot of fouls on like screens and and different things and a block dribbling and 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 there weren't free throws involved. Well, where most of Michigan's fouls were at the rim contesting shots because Illinois was able to get to the rim um, almost all night long. Yeah, yeah. And I thought one of the things I would have liked to seen a little bit more often, and really is about the only thing that I have a you know I don't know complaints the right word, but. I thought when Sissoko had to go out on Garrier, I would have run more action to get Domask or Rogers free in the lane when Sissoko was was twenty five feet out. Um, that's a pretty small thing to to you know have as a yeah, but that's about all I yeah, could find have, tonight. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Like so, you you to piggyback off that, if you post Domask on that wing and you play the bully ball and you've got. Um, you, you know, Sosoko's coming from the middle. He's playing yep. from the weak side. You'd have put Gary A in the, you know, in the, the, you know, but I will say they did do that. If you, if you right. think back, they changed and put Gary A in the corner yep. or whoever, when he was, when, and when Sosoko was guarding him, when they went small and uh, when they didn't have tie in the game and they put him in the corner and they let Damask work from the top. And so what you saw was then it made it harder for him to come and, and double. And or putting him at the top of the key as the guy on the ball side, basically, it makes it harder for him to come because when he comes now, it's an easy one pass three. And Damask was really, really good at finding guys tonight. I thought there were a couple. I mean, I, I don't I think it was 15 points, six rebounds and five assists or seven and six, something like that. And he had a couple where he passed the guys and they missed, you know, wide open shots. There was a layup by Harmon. I thought that was probably I thought Justin Harmon played well. But I thought that was the game. I thought that could have clinched the game. They were about to go up 10 on a layup. And instead, they come down. They miss the layup. They come down. They get an and one. And it goes from uh, 10, would have been 10 instead of five. Yeah, and no, they're I, right back in the game. So oh, Totally know what you're talking about there. So from those are little X's, things that happen in a game. From an X's and O's standpoint, Sturdy, like, am I misremembering too? Because it sure seemed like, you know, they still got in the paint. Um, with oh, having yeah. Gary Air at the top because it seemed like Sosoko bit on the three point head fake almost every time, and then they got in the paint. Oh, yeah, that they, way, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah, they were, they were definitely Michigan State. Every big guy was like flying out of Gary, and he had the you know attacking those closeouts is really good because he's so athletic uh, and mm-hmm. mobile and explosive compared to a, a five man. So yeah, it was, it was a fact. I mean, you know, that's what I'm saying. I I think a lot of times we think they took a. You know, they took a bad shot. I thought thought Coleman took the one three that was probably a bad shot down the stretch. But other than that, I mean, Damas got to the rim. I thought he got clobbered one time and didn't finish, and it was a layup. I thought that you know Gary A made, you know, he got a a dunk that he probably should have had an and one on. Instead, he makes one out of two free throws. 
they're little things like that. And that's what you, you know, as they get there and they're, they're, they're getting, they're getting better and they're figuring out how to attack things. I thought Ty Rogers really showed how you attack this. Like, it's funny, like, I tell people this last game against Purdue, Edie's a unicorn, right? I mean, so it's a different thing. But also, Ty has to finish those shots at the rim. He has to make those little easy buckets when he gets those opportunities. And he did that tonight. And it's amazing. Now everybody's like, oh, yeah, they figured it out. Well, they really didn't. One, Ty didn't have 100 feet, 102 fever. Two, they they now they they just continue to to he's learning how to play in that situation you know after the Purdue game people were like well you can't play Ty Rogers you can't play him he can't shoot he didn't take any jumpers tonight he scored 15 hey there there's more to basketball and I, I I so I just think it's funny because a lot of people what they say well when I played or when this happens we did this and I did that it doesn't work that way it's this is these guys know what they're doing um I'm not saying they're perfect they're gonna make mistakes but you can play Ty Rogers, and you need to have him playing twenty to twenty-five minutes a game. Yeah, and I'm I going to do. Yeah, go ahead. The lack of the lack of a seven-foot-four guy with a three-mile reach <laughs> is also something that was a benefit. I, I I'm going to say real quick, you 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 really don't. And Brad and and Matt, I think you guys can both agree with me. But I, I remember the game when when Myers Leonard came back, and you stand next to Myers Leonard, and you're like, my God. He's the same species that I am. And then you turn around and you bump into Kofi and you're like, my God, he's bigger than Myers Leonard. And then you bump into to Edie and you're like, they can't get any bigger, can they? It's just so some of that, I mean, Ty didn't feel good, but but you know, I know people hate Edie, but he is a force in the middle with his Yeah, he's style. a game changer, you know, especially when you have that. Yeah. Would it be great if Ty Rogers could take that 15 foot jumper and make it consistently? It would be fantastic. And he's shown the ability to make free throws, which I think is yep. a huge change. Um, Illinois' free throw shooting, what were they, 18 of 22 tonight? I think at yes. the beginning of the year, everybody's like, you know, they can't, they're going to lose these close games. So he can't make free throws. Well, some of it was the guys that are getting, you know, Shannon missed some early, you know, when, when and he's a good free throw shooter. So I think some of it was the guys who were getting fouled. They were using, playing through Dane a lot more, and he was getting fouled and missing free throws. And well, now it's Marcus Damask, who's, you know, 90% free throw shooter. So yeah, it's just, I, it's just, I don't know. I hate to say I told you so, but yeah, I did. Matt, Matt you had something. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do the meatball fan thing. Cause I guess in basketball, I'm allowed to do that a little bit more. Um, there's two <laughs> things. One is uh, it, it sure seems to me like, and, and kegs sturdy, you tell me I'm wrong. It, it sure seems like the Michigan state game, whether it's in the Breslin center or it's here in state farm center, there's a coming out party or an introduction party for somebody on at the on the Atlanta. Whether it's Io, whether it's Trent Frazier, whether it's Justin Granderson in, in the Breslin Center, I remember somebody has their coming out party. I thought that was Ty Rogers tonight. Like, hey, you're really good at basketball. Like, and Ty Rogers used the used the pl- the platform of the Michigan State game on national television to remind people that he made it under 18 team USA team. And he's pretty good at basketball. And I'm wondering how long this is going to last where they just stick a five in the paint on Ty Rodgers and basically don't guard him. Um, Cause it seems like if that continues to happen and your name's not Zach Eady, that's not going to be a path to success. Um, and the second thing is Mike, are you sitting down? Cause mm-hmm. I've seen the, I saw the worst officiating call I've seen since I started working here at Illini guys. If the NCAA officiating video does not show the Coleman Hawkins charge that he took on AJ Hoggard, like as a this is how you take a charge like in the in the video that they send out to all of the officiating um 
you know, I don't know what is because like that is an absolute charge. And I could not believe we just basically have decided, I guess, in, in this sport in college, we're just going to call it a block because we don't want people taking charges anymore. Like that's what that call was. And if you're sitting down, I was mystified by how that call went down well, the way it did. And I turned to Sturdy and I went, you've got to be kidding me. Like, so well, it's, it's, I just pointed out an officiating problem that I, yeah, I cannot I stand know. now. I cannot stand now because you should be able to take charges. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't like help charges. I don't mind if it's the guy, you know, the defender. Now I will say yep. in that one, Coleman's feet were still moving a little bit, but the shoulder of the other player was squarely in his chest. You know, that that's one of those calls that I think is more of a Rorschach test for the, the referee. Cause some referees will say, Yeah, you put the shoulder in that kid's chest, that's a charge every time. And other refs will say, Oh, feet were moving, that's a charge every time. And it's it's I felt like that got called because they don't want six ten Coleman Hawkins taking a charge on six three AJ Hoggard. Like well, and, I, and and I don't know why that's a rule. Like I don't know why giving that's them a way thing. too much credit, Matt. I think it was called because they're just not very good at their jobs. Okay. I mean, cool. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I think Courtney Green is not good a good official. And I think the new guy, he was kind of new. To, he hasn't been around much. Sure. I think Oglesby's fine. I, I thought he was – he made some interesting calls. But they went into that game saying they were going to let him play. And I, I thought they missed a lot of 50-50 calls. I, I mean, I thought yeah. they were they, – they struggled with those. And, and both ways, I thought, you know, they missed a lot of them. And, and they weren't very good. And – you know, that that's fine. I mean, but they called it, you know, they were said they were going to let him play. They did. And my problem has always been when I talk officiating, like, I don't like when you, I almost think you should never call traveling unless it's blatant because they don't call it consistently. Like they allow guys to move their feet and sh and take two steps before yeah. they start shake both feet. I mean, there was a time Hogard spun. I think they called Gary a for a travel. Yes. And then they let Hogard like, I mean, he, he had a hop, skip and a jump. I think Walker had one too, where he did a, he did a spin, a jump. He landed, he stepped, he stepped again. And then it was like, wait, you just covered like 18 feet. How is that possible? And so I don't know. There, there, I just think there's no consistency on, on charges. I don't think there's consistency on travels. So you know what? Just play. Let well, play. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't disagree. Usually that's my, 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 modus operandi sturdy i'm just like you guys tell me if i'm batshit crazy excuse me um because it seems to me like this year particularly they have decided to make calls to disengage engage or dissuade yeah. players from taking charges because they don't want yeah. players taking charges anymore they clearly, clearly and i'm sorry yeah. i don't agree yeah. with that because if i can't block your shot i should be able to try to take a charge i i've heard too many Big time coaches say we have two options in the paint. We can either block your shot or we can take a charge. And like, if I can't block your shot, what the heck am I supposed to do defensively? I, I don't like where that's headed unless I mean, the idea is we want just cleaner, you know, more scoring basketball. But I don't know if that's the way yeah. to go. Like, I, yeah, I if I can't block your shot, I don't know how to. I don't know how to. I don't know how to stand my ground and defend. Mike right? makes you know a good I mean? point about the help defender. I mean, a help defender right. charge is always a frustrating one for me. Um, guys coming downhill and the guy runs underneath him, and now, yeah. now you know they've tried to take some of that away with them having to be set before they uh, go up, which is obviously and there's going to be a few, but it's rare. And then the other one is, uh, but I think guarding on the ball, 
you can't just allow the offensive player to bury his shoulder and drive through a guy. So, but anyway, back to the game at hand. Yes. So, yes. I, 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 I want to throw a play out there, Brad, because I thought it was the most impressive play of the game when Jaden Atkins tried to, tried to do the dribble drive against Coleman Hawkins on the left side. Coleman stopped him, got in front of him, forced him out of the lane on the right side. And, you know, the six foot four guard had to end up going out to the wing and passing the ball off. And he was totally stymied by a six foot 10 center in terms of unable to dribble around him. I thought that was an impressive defensive play. Yeah. I think Coleman did that a few times today where he really did a great job switching on those guards and he used his length to, to make him take tough shots. And he, I was able to move his feet and stay in front of them. So if, if guys have to shoot over him, you know, guards just have to shoot over Coleman Hawkins, it's not easy. And it's a tough shot. I mean, I'll say this. I thought Michigan State made some – they didn't shoot. Yes. You know, you look at those guys like 6 for 19 or 5 or 6 for 17, whatever they were. But some of those shots they made were insanely tough. I mean, they threw up a couple. Hogarth threw up a couple of – and Walker threw up some shots that was like, holy cow, that is a – and you just tip your hat when guys make those. You just say, Paul did too. I thought they had a, a few shots that were just crazy tough. I thought Damask made one for Illinois. But overall, I thought Michigan State was able to make a lot of tough shots to allow them to hang around in that game. Yeah, I agree. And I thought there there was, you know, at the end of the game, um, I forget who made the shot over Goody. Goody played good defense. It was excellent communication between Damask and and Hawkins to make sure that there was no easy breakdown in the lane. And the shot just as good as all the Illinois defense was, the shot was just better and it went in. I thought I thought there were several times where Michigan State really hit hard shots and that should give them a little bit of confidence. Now it's them making the easy shots that seems to be the challenge for Michigan State. Yeah, I missed a lot of open shots. You know, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, let's talk a little bit about this, though. I think the one thing when I look at Illinois right now is do they have any – they have can they play more than six guys right now? Exactly. They really need to get uh, Moretti and Hansberry. If they're not going to play – and I know Draven Gibbs-Lahorn was sick. Uh, Hansberry has the back spasms. Moretti is actually seeing the doctors while I was talking to Underwood post game. We were talking to him. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens there. But he's back in practice. You know, you obviously have Shannon out. You have Harris redshirting. You, you, and you've got, you know, Danger has really struggled uh, at times. He does some good things occasionally, but you can't play him at the end of a game because they just would foul him and he's a can't make free throw. So it, it's, he just gives you a few minutes in the first half consistently. I thought he did some good things today. And, but overall, like you're really limited until you get those guys back, whether it's Shannon, Moretti, Hansberry, whoever, you got to get some guys out there that can give you some minutes and get, be productive in those minutes and efficient. And if they can do that, I, I, I think that really will help this team moving forward. And hopefully they can get a, a win against Maryland on Sunday that, that will allow them to get a lead and maybe get some of those guys in the game a little bit. Yeah, well, at least the good thing is, Brad, we found out, according to the NBA, I'm not certain if they're the right source, but load management has nothing to do with injuries. So you can play these guys, and apparently that's not going to cause a problem if they have to. You got six guys playing unbelievable yeah. amounts of minutes every game. Yeah, well, and and I think you know, obviously it's it's pretty impressive. I, I will say this, Coleman. You know, he plays a lot of minutes, but I think the guy that's the most impressive because they rotate a lot of the guys: Goody, Garrier, yep. Harmon, 
But Damas never comes out. I mean, he played 38 minutes tonight. He played 40 minutes at Purdue. This dude is impressive. I, I don't know if we – and I say this, and I I say this about uh, almost after every game. I mean, maybe it's because he's our Illini guy, but Damascus has been amazing. I mean, he is so good at basketball. Um, he's a first-team All-Big Ten guy right now. I mean, Big Ten Player of the Week last week. Just, I mean, what he's doing right now is basically he's playing the point guard. And and he's putting up 15 and 5 and 6 and or whatever, 15, 6 and 5, in a game where people are saying, God, Damascus is terrible tonight. And, and yet he, there he is. He makes free throws down the stretch. Really impressed with what, what he's done. Well, it was it was an impressive thing. The last thing I wanted to ask you guys about is uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting and I thought was a tribute to both teams and their coaches was Illinois would get up by nine and they would – Michigan State would respond by closing the game into two or three points and then Illinois would respond by stretching it back out that happened multiple times during the game. Matt, did you have any thoughts on that? I give Coleman Hawkins a lot of credit for this. I I, I don't know what has happened, but you give Brad Underwood a lot of credit, right, Mike? I think they figured out how to coach Coleman, and Coleman's had to figured out how to at least take to coaching. Um, he said tonight that he's just stopped caring, like, and he's just going to go play basketball. And Underwood's response to that was, Thank God. Like, I don't want you thinking and caring as much as you have been. Um, but there was a point where, you, Mike, you remember the turnover that he he threw the pass to Marcus Damask. It ends up in the first row. Yep. And Coleman's just going nuts. And I thought Underwood immediately took him out. And I think until there was like that media timeout. And I could see him literally telling Coleman, relax, calm down. Everything's going to be fine. And Coleman went right back in the game. And I thought he was the best player on the floor for the rest of that ball game. I really did. Um on both ends of the floor. And, and I, I think having a steady presence in a senior like that to understand how to win games like this, because he's been a part of games against Michigan state before and not lose your mind. I thought that was a huge key and, and credit Coleman the whole time for that, because you're, if you're without an all American boy, it could have been rough for Illinois. And I think that Coleman Hawkins, I can't, you know, no, I can't believe I'm saying this. He's a senior fourth year starter, fourth year player, third year starter. Um, he's been a calming you know, influence, you know, not only in the locker room, but also in that starting lineup. And I feel like in, in, in that six man rotation, and I, I, I credit him a lot for, for having that kind of leadership qualities and, and being able to put up the kind of production that he needed to, that Illinois has needed since Terrence Shannon's been out. Yeah. You know, he, he had 15 points, uh, seven rebounds, two assists, <laughs> four blocks, and his help defense is unbelievable. Again, we've, talked about this with Ked when you when you watch the replay of the Illini game go back and watch him off the ball don't watch the ball but watch him off the ball you'll see five or six times easy that he stops drives by helping it's it's it and that makes your defense so much tougher than what it would normally be yeah and I, I also think Mike um you know credit to Justin Harmon I think over the last month that that guy has, like Brad said, has figured out his role at Illinois and he is succeeding in a huge way at a, at a huge on a huge platform like the Big Ten and at Illinois and on national television that he never got at Utah Valley. And I've 
and he never obviously got at the community college, the junior college that he was at. Um, but he's getting it now. And I saw a play. I you know if you guys remember in the Mike, you remember in the second half where you know he he couldn't get that layup to go in transition. I really wanted that to fall for him. And the reason I wanted that to fall for him was because he had just gotten the hell beat out of him for about 20 seconds in the post by Malik Hall. And, you know, it reminded me of guys like, like, like Trent Frazier and, and DeMonte Williams who have done that. But Justin Harmon has the ability on the offensive end to take a transition like outlet pass and go make a, you know, go make an offensive play immediately after being just beaten on for 20 seconds by a guy that's probably got four inches and 25 pounds on you. Um, and so, I mean, it's it's that kind of effort that I think Illinois is really kind of um, stabilizing themselves with right now, and, and it's really cool to see. And then, when, and again, when you play a Michigan State, you have to you have to have a high level, and you have to probably match their intensity level and their energy level. And I thought Illinois did that tonight. Yeah, I think so too. It was a good victory for the Illini, and of course, we will we will be back after this minute to wrap up the show. Stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe to the full family of Illini Guys podcast, starting with our signature Eye on the Illini series, which discusses recent Illini events. Sturdy for 30 is where veteran Illini insider and analyst Brad Sturdy talks with experts and people in the know. And Ked's Recruiting Roundup, where IlliniGuys.com director of recruiting Kendrick Prince talks with players, parents, and coaches about the next wave of Illini student-athletes. Stay in the know with Illini Guys podcast. Find them wherever you download your podcasts. And this is Mike Kegley thanking you for spending your time with us this evening or tomorrow morning. Also thanking Kedrick Prince, Matt Stevens, and Brad Sturdy for coming on. Uh, I know the weather is pretty ugly tonight and they have drives in front of them, so we appreciate that. We'd love to see you guys coming on to become members with the Terrence Shannon situation. We have a ton of coverage that is back in our message boards. It is something that we have literally had hundreds of new subscribers. We'd love to add you to the mix. Get back there in the message boards. Enjoy other Illini fans. Find out inside information. You can talk directly to Matt, Ked, Brad, myself, and it's a lot of fun. We'd love to see you there. $99 a year. You get billed on the seventh day, so you can kick the tires to make sure it's a good investment for you. We'd love to see you. And, of course, folks, we'll be back with Sunday after the Maryland game. And if there is big news, there is big things happening, we will do an emergency podcast and get it out there to you as well. With that, we will end with Go Illini! Go Illini!